My prayer is that you would open our eyes tonight. That you would open our eyes that we would see your armies. We would see your horses and your chariots of fire surrounding this place, surrounding our hearts. That we would have this confidence, this hope, this assurance to give it all to you because you are trustworthy and you are capable and you are faithful and good. And you are worthy of us to, to lay our lives down to you because of what you have done by laying your life down for us first. Jesus, thank you for your gift. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son. You are such a good gift giver. Jesus, you are such a good gift giver. Thank you for your love, for your endless mercy and grace. Thank you that we are never alone because of what you've done for us. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are ever present and always with us, at work and alive inside of us. We submit, we submit to you and to your authority and to your moving and to your speaking tonight. We who have ears, we want to hear what you have to say tonight. We love you, Lord, so much. We pray this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. You may take a seat. And we are going to finish up our Wednesday night chapel series in step with the Spirit tonight with Pastor Kim. Give it up for Pastor Kim. Hey, and just, just before you preach, I wasn't able to do this uh, at the beginning of the service. We like to honor uh, when we have visiting pastors with us. And so we actually have Levi's mom and dad, Pastor Tony, his wife, Sarah Warner, with us here tonight. Yeah. Th- thanks for visiting. Thanks for being with us. Bless you guys. Awesome. Okay. Hello. Okay, so when I was seven years old, and it was my birthday was coming up, and I so desperately wanted a kid sister. See, I was the only daughter in the house, but it wasn't actually, I didn't actually want a sister sister, like an actual physical sister. See, there was a doll called Kid Sister. You may not know what Kid Sister looks like, so I have for you a bit of a, well, a commercial, in fact, for Kid Sister, so that you can exactly see why I would want Kid Sister so bad. So let's just take a look. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy and me. Kid Sister, Kid Sister. Kid sister, eat sold separately from Play School. I wanted a kid sister so badly, so badly. And so I told my parents that that is what I wanted for my birthday. And because I was the youngest and the only girl in my family, I pretty much got what I asked for, <laughs> if we had the money to get it. So my birthday, my seventh birthday, 
I opened up my present, and there she was, my kid sister. Oh, I just, I, you know, I had this vision from the commercial that I could take my kid sister wherever I wanted to go, right? Like, everywhere I go, you're going to go, right? And so I, I had this vision that I would take her everywhere I went, and it was going to be so wonderful. Only she got dirty, and then I couldn't, like... Like her head, her head was hard, like hard plastic, but her body was soft. And so because I'm seven and we lived out in the country, I'd take her out in the country and she'd get all dirty. But then I couldn't like clean her body because she was cloth, but then I could wash her face, but then her face was clean. And so then I thought, well, maybe I could take her into the bath because I'm a seven-year-old and not smart. But then that wouldn't work because then her body would be all wet and her face would be fine. And so that, that wouldn't work. And then like, like good seven-year-old kids that have a doll, I just went, took it everywhere. And so I wanted to sleep with her, right? Like snuggle up. Only her face was as hard as a rock. So I couldn't like snuggle up because she's all like cold and hard. There's nothing more comfortable than trying to snuggle up with something cold and hard. Growth. Like it was just like, I just didn't like it. And she was just, and then, and then Glenn, my brother Glenn, if you haven't, oh, I've already told you about Glenn. Glenn told me, Kim, you know, it would be a brilliant idea. Why don't you take out her braids? And then she'll have flowing hair. Ugh, Glenn always got me to do the stupidest things. And I would listen to it every single time. And so I took out the elastics, undid her braids. And the kid's sister doll was like a Barbie with Barbie hair. Only mass amounts of Barbie hair. And if anybody here has ever had a Barbie, Barbie hair gets ratty real quick. And it's gross. And so now I've got this kid sister whose face is hard, her body's all dirty, and her hair's all ratty. And I don't even want to, I don't want her to be my kid sister anymore. And so, like, in two months, I've, like, thrown her into the pile of misfit toys. Like, I don't want her anymore because she's just, she's not, not worth my time. She didn't sort of deliver on my expectations. Ugh. Kid's sister. Ugh. Now, as we've been walking through this series in In Step, we've been talking a lot about what it looks like to be in different kinds of relationships. And as we've been doing that, I've been thinking a lot about friendships. And, and I'm challenged, again, by this idea that when we walk, the way that we walk in, in step with the Spirit comes out in how we walk with other people right? Like we've been talking about that. That's a pretty common thread throughout our la- throughout the last five weeks. How we walk in step with the spirit, it totally affects how we walk in step with, with our people and with our friends. So then if that's the case, then, then I'm left with the question, how do I actually walk with my friends? Is my, have I, have I treated my friends like my seven-year-old se- self with my kid sister? Um, you know, with these expectations that wherever I want to do or everything that I want to go or that my friends would want to go. But that's not necessarily the case, right? Our friends don't always want to go where we want to go or do what we want to do or won't do or go where we want to go or can't go where we want to go, whether that's literally or figuratively. 
And so then I'm left with the question, well, do I just treat my friend who maybe can't go where I want to go like my kid's sister? Or do I treat um, them like my kid's sister where they've got like, you know, tender spots, but then they also have hard spots. And because that doesn't feel comfortable to me, do I then relegate my friendships? Do I just send them off to some sort of like pile of misfit friends that I've just sort of tossed to the side? Or do we, I, do we attempt, or perhaps I attempt, or we attempt to be like the kid sister, perhaps, or the my buddy doll, and we p- present this plasticness as if we've got it all together and we're perfect. Only when we do that, we get, we harden our hearts as well in the process, and then, then, then we don't make for very good friends that way. And or do we, you know, like with my kid sister and her ratty hair, like when when things get ratty with our friends. Do I keep going or do I toss my friends? And so these are the questions that I've been thinking about. Because doing life with people is actually very, very hard, right? It's very hard to do life with people. And friendships are hard. And so often, and so I'm challenged with this thought that often we, ha- we can treat friends sometimes like a kid sister doll. Where they, once they don't meet our needs, then they get shipped off to the pile of misfit toys. Now, I believe that what, um, what Paul is saying to the Galatians really speaks not only to dating relationships, not only speaks to our family relationships, it speaks to our friendships. So I'd like for us to go back to Galatians 5, chapter, or chapter 5, verse 13, to where we've been looking this whole, um, this whole five weeks. And we're going to take a look at the whole section between um, Galatians 5, 13, all the way to to verse 26. So it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy your sinful natures, but freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command— Love your neighbor as yourself. For if instead you are, instead of showing love among yourselves, you are always biting and devouring one another. Watch out. Be aware of destroying one another. So I advise you to live according to the new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what is your sinful nature, what your sinful nature craves. The old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of that, of the sinful nature. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you are no longer subject to the law. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, you live, your lives will produce these evil results. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness of lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation of demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except for those in your own little group, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, I have before, uh, let me tell you again, as I have before, that any living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here, uh, there is no conflict with the law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. If we are living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or irritating one another or be jealous of one another. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for um, your call to us um, to walk in step with you, to be holy because you are holy. Lord, it is our desire to look more and more like you, to act more and more like you. And so, Lord, may we um, glean from your word. Would your Holy Spirit speak to us and hear what you have to say? So, Lord, thank you so much for this word. Amen. So, we see in this text, before um, Paul highlights the struggle that he gives a little bit of a preface, or preface, as some might say. <laughs> okay, so he says, For you have been called to live in freedom, and, out, and to use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Be aware of destroying one another. Those are some pretty, like, that's a pretty big warning, hey? That's that's pretty big. Paul distinguishes the differences between freedom of sin and freedom to serve. And the difference between the freedom to sin is that we often feel like we have the right to. We have the right to do this. I'm free, so I have the right. I can do that. But the freedom to serve is doing what is right. And the freedom to sin is motivated by a love of self, and the freedom to serve is motivated by a love of others. And so we have these two differences, the freedom of sin, the freedom to serve. But if we're not motivated by love, then we get pretty critical of others. We stop looking for the good in others, and we see their faults. We start to devour them which is pretty strong language. But if we don't have love, what was unity starts to divide and we become broken. And I'd like for us to take a few seconds to have some honest reflection for just a second, thinking on what Paul is saying here. So I will ask myself this question. Please ask yourself this question. In the last week, have I focused on the faults or what I perceive to be the faults of another person? In the last week, have I stopped looking for the good in someone? In the last week, have I cared more about my rights or my freedom than what is right? Well, my answer is yes. 
Um, This Galatians text is warning us, though, that if if we aren't aware, if we don't protect each other, if we don't love each other, we will devour each other. That is pretty heavy stuff. Aren't you glad we got to see the little my buddy and little sister video? (laughs) Just a little bit of light for this. It will destroy us. And the fruit of that, that Paul talks about, how he fleshes that out, is he says that it looks like, and I've noted a few here that are specific about relationship with people, He says it looks like hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, the feeling like everyone else was wrong except those in your own little group, and envy. That will destroy us. That will destroy us. My heart really breaks, actually, when I think about this. Um, the, I just, this is the thing that the enemy uses to weasel his way in little, little quarrels. Now we would never use the word quarreling. Like I'm quarreling with somebody this week. We would never use that, but that's just fighting. If we're in a fight or if we're having a break from a friend, right? That's division or dissension, when we're pitting other people against each other, that's dissension. But that's what the enemy does. He uses these little things, these little conflicts in friendship to destroy us, to destroy the body of Christ so that we wouldn't walk in step with the spirit. And my heart breaks when I think that This happens so much in the body of Christ. With the people of God, that there is division and dissension. It breaks my heart. I think it breaks God's heart. When his his people are, are fighting against each other. And so we need to heed Paul's instruction. We need to heed his warning. It will destroy us if we do not attend and walk in the spirit if we do not um, hold what is right higher than what we than our personal rights it will destroy us okay but there's paul leaves an antidote for this so he doesn't like leave us on this super low note right he says that we are to serve one another humbly in love and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's the foundation. That's how we combat the destruction of that behavior. That's how we fight against it. To serve one another humbly and love, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus, Jesus reminds us of um, in Mark 12, 31 and 30, 30 and 31, of the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no greater command than these. This is it. Paul is reminding us that this is what is most important. Love God, love others. 
And when we love others like we love ourselves, it means that we are the kind of friend that we wish we always had. How can we be the friend that we wish we always had? So I was listening to this podcast the other day, and this woman was talking. She's a, is anybody here interested or follow like the Enneagram? Does anybody know what that is? Okay. So it was a podcast on the Enneagram, which is like a personality thing. So I was listening to this podcast the other day, and this lady who is a marriage uh, counselor, she was chatting about sort of how she does what she does with her particular personality. And so she's, she made this passing comment about her marriage. And she says, you can be married or you can be right, but you can't be both. And it made me really laugh. And I thought, I think there's probably some truth to that. Any married people, like, would you agree? There's some, like, you can be right or you can be married. And so I was running, I was really, like, caught up with this thought of you can be right or you can be married. And I was thinking about it with friends. And I think that it can sort of settle in with friendship. We can be right or we could be friends. Like, sure. Are there caveats to this? Yes. Does this have some sort of end? Sure. But I think that there is something that could be, uh, that we can hold on to this idea where we could be right or we could be friends. Because there are times that um, my rightness me wanting to be right has completely surpassed. It is, I've wanted to be right more than I've wanted to be a good friend to somebody. That's happened. Yeah. I have definitely given up my friendship. I've chosen to be right than to be a good friend. There have been times where I have not wanted to serve somebody um, because I just felt like it wasn't, like I had my time, I didn't want to use my time for that. So I didn't. There were times where, you know, my rights as like my self-care and a friend called me and I didn't answer. Because it's my right to have some time alone. Only my friend is hurting. And so my, my rights over, like, were elevated over my friendship. And I think that there's this idea of with friendship, we have to... We have to um, figure out our rights, what is our rights and what is right. Doing our rights or doing what is right. And we see this in scripture, actually. A really great example of this is found our, like, prime example of friendship is David and Jonathan. Prime example. So David, he kills Goliath, right? And now he's, you know, there is fanfare and celebration and it's great. And so scripture tells us in uh, chapter 18 in first Samuel that David is chatting away with Saul. So they're chatting away. And then Daniel, sorry. Do you remember how last week, um, Gavin mentioned that his, your, your mother-in-law and sister-in-law, their names are sort of backwards from Naomi to Esther. So 
did I say? Not Esther. Yeah, and Ruth. So my nephews are Jonathan and Daniel. So forgive me if I say Daniel instead of David. So it's in my mind to say Jonathan and Daniel. So anyways, after David has been chatting away with Saul, it says that immediately they, uh, Jonathan met David and immediately there was a bond between them. And Jonathan made a, it says, and Jonathan made a solemn pact with David and that he loved him. And Jonathan sealed this pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, his sword, and his, ba- and his bow. So here, and his belt. So here we have this initial um, meet cute of two friends. They've, they've come together and they decide, oh, they're going to be wonderful friends. Jonathan just like sees David and says, ah, oh, you're fantastic. I want to be your friend, right? And there's this instant friendship that is built. Now... This would not be the normal expectation for these two people. Jonathan, the prince, his next role that he was about to, that he should have the, the right to is king. David, the anoint, the next anointed king. So they should be at odds, if anything. But here these two guys have, have decided to be friends. Then Jonathan doesn't just decide to be his friend as if to like take David under his wing or something like that. But what he does is he defers his role. He defers his leadership. He takes off his coat. He takes off his tunic, his shirt. He takes off his bow, his sword, and his belt. Everything that would represent who he is, his right as the next king, everything that he has, he gives it over to David. All of his rights, he gives over to David and says, you're my friend, and I'm giving everything to you. It was an absolute vulnerable position. David is saying, every, or Jonathan is saying, everything that I have is, is yours, my friend. It's the most vulnerable thing that Jonathan could have done in front of David. It's quite poetic, in fact, this thing that, that, Jonathan, that Jonathan does. And David really picks up on it, and it becomes quite mutual, in fact, Their friendship is marked by vulnerability. Great, great vulnerability. Jonathan passing off or holding off, uh, holding on or not holding on to his rights and giving up his rights for what is right because Jonathan got it. He got who David was. Saul didn't. And so there was great, uh, uh, great jealousy and division between David and Saul. But Jonathan got it. Jonathan got who David was. That David was going to be the next king. That David was someone special. That God was going to use him. And so he got it. So he got it what meant to be a friend to David. That it wasn't about his right anymore. About his position. It was about doing what is right. And so if David is the next king, then Jonathan is going to protect him. And it was Jonathan's vow to protect David. And so he made this really vulnerable statement with all of his possessions or with his stuff that represents his rights. He laid that before David. 
Now, friendship requires vulnerability, doesn't it? It really does. It requires us to actually give up our rights at times, to take off the hard plastics of our life. And it requires us to be vulnerable. True friendship requires us to say, here, here's my stuff. This is all that is me. Take it. That's friendship, vulnerability. In Romans 12, 10, it says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Friendship requires vulnerability. We have to be upfront with who we are. It is often when the breakdown with friendship is often when we can't keep up what we're trying to put, pursue or what we're trying to present. We can't keep it up anymore. And when our true selves come out, and then people don't know what to do with us anymore because our true selves are coming out. It requires vulnerability for friendship. There's this really awkward spot that Jonathan is in. His alliance and his allegiance is towards his dad. He should be to to follow his dad's uh, leadership. That he would be obliged to his father. But But he's made a commitment, a covenant with David. And so what we see... What, what's happening in this story, this continued story with David and Jonathan, is that in 1 Samuel 19, we see uh, this conversation that Jonathan is having. So in the next morning, um, David is talking with Jonathan, and he says, or sorry, so Jonathan's talking with Saul, and he's saying, uh, like, why are you, why are you bad-mouthing David? Why are you doing that? What has he done? And he starts to stick up for his friends. He hasn't done anything to harm you. And he's sort of like, he's saying to his dad, hey, you remember that time when he killed that giant? Remember that? Like you were, you were happy about that. And he's trying to remind his, his dad that this guy, David, has done nothing wrong. And yet St- Saul still, be, still burns with envy and anger toward David. And despite Jonathan's attempt to protect his friend from Saul, he just continues to go on a bit of a rampage. And so in verse, in chapter 20, we see this, this great exchange, this great, I don't know, it's so epic, this narrative between David and Jonathan and Saul. And David is talking to Jonathan. He's saying, what have I done? What is my sin? What's my crime? How have I offended your father? What did I do? And he's just bearing his soul to his friend. What's, he's being vulnerable. What have I done? Your father's going to kill me. And Jonathan says, no, no, that's not true. He won't kill you. He won't. He tells me everything. I, he hasn't told me that he's going to kill you. So you're fine. And David's saying, no, that's ridiculous. Your father knows that we're friends. So he's not going to tell you if he's going to kill me. And so they come up with a plan, right? 
They come up with a brilliant plan. I love this plan. And they've come up with a plan to decide if Saul wants to actually kill David or not. And so Jonathan says, okay, there's going to be this big celebration, this big feast and party, and you're not going to be there. Typically, David would be in um, in with the king and with Jonathan eating at the king's table. And Jonathan says, you're not going to be there. I want you to hide. Hide in the place where you hid before. You know, by the pile of the rocks, hide there. So then, hide there. And then, what you're going to do is I'm going to come back later. And I'm going to pretend like I'm doing, like, like I'm doing um, archery. And like hitting a bullseye, what would you call that? Archery. I know, but like like shooting practice. <laughs> archery. <laughs> oh, right. So you'd be doing archery. <laughs> and so he's going to pretend to do archery and do shooting practice. And he's going to not hit what he's wanting to, like what the thing to hit, the bullseye. He's not going to hit it. And he's going to send out, he's going to send out this like um, servant boy. And he says that if he says to the servant boy, it's just over there, that means that you're safe, David. That's fine. So if I, if you hear me say, it's over there, you're good. But if I like hit my arrows, and the servant boy goes out, and I say, it's still further, then you're in trouble. You have to run, and you have to get away. So David goes and hides. Jonathan goes. It's the feast, and they're having this celebration. And so it's the new moon feast, and there they are. They're sitting at the table, And Saul notices that David is not sitting at his seat. And so the first day, he notices, but doesn't seem to make a big deal about it. And then the second day, he notices that David isn't there still. And so David, or Jonathan, like, speaks to it, because Saul asks, where is David? And so Jonathan sort of creates this excuse that, um, that he's not there. And, uh, and so it's, this is like so epic. So then Saul freaks out, like just freaks out. And he calls Jonathan a very bad name, like curses him out. I don't even want to say it into a microphone, a bad name. And so he like, bad name. He, so then what he does is as he's, as he's so angry because he says to Jonathan, you are, I know you're friends with him. And if this, if David does not get killed, you will never be on the throne. And you are absolutely a shame to your mother. Oh, oh, yeah. And then a bad name. And, and he rips into Jonathan because Saul knows that David is going to take the throne, but doesn't bother Jonathan because Jonathan knows that David is supposed to take the throne, that that is what is right. And it's not about his rights and it's not about Saul's rights. It's about what is right. And so Saul in his heated fury 
chucks a spear at Jonathan to spear his own son. That's insane. That's insane. Oh my goodness. And in all of this, here are these two friends who are trying to protect each other. Because before, when they were making their their plan, they asked each other, are you going to keep the pact? Would you keep the covenant? David says to Jonathan, he says, show me kindness like you've sworn, my friend. We made a covenant before God, so show me kindness. Please kill me yourself if I've sinned against your father, but please don't, don't betray me. Show me kindness. And then Jonathan, he reiterates his covenant too and asks David, okay, I need, some, I'm, I need to be vulnerable with you, David. And Jonathan says to him in verse 14, he says, may you treat me with faithful love, the love of the Lord. So as long as I live, but if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So these guys have recommitted this faith pact, this faithfulness pact. They will be loyal. That in the midst of this craziness with Saul and this pursuit from Saul, here are these two friends who have committed to each other before God that they will show kindness. And this word kindness is the word that is used. This is also, it's not just for people, like a a word be used like just in friendships, but it's actually the word that's used between like God and humanity and humanity to humanity. Like this, this kindness is a really big deal. This is about loyalty. This is about mercy. And they're saying to each other, I need you. I need you desperately. Would you please, please be faithful to me? Because both of them recognize that the faithfulness of the other person, if it's not there, will determine the, the life of the other person. Jonathan's faithfulness determined whether David was potentially going to die or not. Like, that's how much they were vulnerable with each other. That's how much they needed each other. And so, here they are. Saul has thrown this spear, and so that has gotten Jonathan right mad. Very upset. So the next morning, he goes, grabs his arrows, goes to do some archery. And he starts to shoot his arrow. And he sends sends his servant boy, and he says, they're past you. And he yells, hurry, they're past you. And so the servant boy is like totally oblivious and just like, grabbing them and running them back to Jonathan. And Jonathan says, you can go now. And then Jonathan and David come together in this incredible moment of friendship. And they hug each other and they say goodbye. And they know that their life is at risk. That they are majorly dependent upon on each other. So friendship is not only marked by vulnerability, it is marked by faithfulness. 
to say, I will put myself in danger. That's what Jonathan was doing. I will put myself in danger. I will put myself below what, what are my rights, and I will be faithful to what is right. I will be faithful to you, David. Friendship is marked by vulnerability. It's taking our rattiness of life, like giving you my rattiness. Like this is the unfrayed version of Kim and giving that to you and saying, I actually need you. That's a real sign of friendship to say, I need you. That's what David and Jonathan were doing for each other. I need you. Now, in that exchange, that narrative so far, we pretty much have David really needing Jonathan, right? It almost seems like, well, this is a one-sided affair here, right? Like, it's sort of a one-sided friendship, but it's not because the story isn't over. So we have Jonathan and David. They've now split, and Jonathan, who's obliged to his father, stays with his father. And as they sort of hunt after David, Jonathan is with his father, and David is on the run. Saul and the army of Israel, they are fighting in different battles. And Saul and Jonathan are killed in the battle against the Philistines. And so in the second, uh, second Samuel, chapter 1, David, we find David getting the news that Jonathan is dead. And he grieves and mourns the loss of his friend. And so he writes this incredible song about Saul. And he honors Saul, which is so amazing that David honors Saul so, so deeply. And he honors his friend. And he mourns. And And a couple chapters later, in chapter 9, it says, One day, uh, David asked, Is there anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David is responding to his long friendship in faithfulness, even after Jonathan is dead. So he summons this man named Ziba, who has been one of Saul's servants. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. So David sent for him and brought him uh, to Merkai's house. And so he met Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, which is such an awesome name. And so Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. And Mephibosheth bows down very low and honoring to David. And he says, greetings. My name is Mephibosheth. (laughs) And David says to him, don't be afraid. Because David had every right to get rid of, to destroy Mephibosheth and anybody in the in the lineage of Saul. He had the right. But because he was a friend, he did what was right and he was faithful. 
And he said, don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness because of a promise that I made to your father. I will give you all the property that was once your grandfather's. Once, that once was Saul's, I'm going to give you all of that money. And you're going to eat here at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully, and he said, Who am I that you would do such kindness to a dead dog? So strange that one would call themselves a dead dog, but anyways. And from that day on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like he was the king's own son. That's true friendship. Friendship that will lay ones like, this is the rattiness of myself. I need you so much and will commit to being faithful to a promise. It's beautiful. Friendship is marked by faithfulness. Rather than, um, it's, faithfulness sort of looks like mutual Humble service, like what was talked about in Galatians 5. Humbly serving one another. Loving one like you would love oneself. Like you would love yourself, right? David, Jonathan was mentioned to loving David like he loved himself. We are called to, in, in Galatians, to love one like you love, our, love yourself. David did that. He loved Mephibosheth, Jonathan, like he loved himself and let Mephibosheth sit at his table to have a place with him and to love him like a son. It's beautiful. Friendship is a mix of vulnerability and faithfulness. It's giving up your rights to do what is right Um, Eugene Peterson describes the relationship between David and Jonathan like this. He says, friendship is a much underestimated aspect of spirituality. It is every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. Like the sacramental use of water and bread and wine, friendship takes what's common in human experience and turns it into something holy. Friendship with David completed or complicated Jonathan's life enormously. He risked losing his father's favor, uh, willingly sacrificing his own royal future. But neither the risk nor the loss deterred him. He became and stayed David's friend. Jonathan's friendship was essential to David's life. It's highly unlikely that David could ever persist in serving Saul without the friendship of Jonathan. Jonathan, in striking contrast to his father, discerned God in David, comprehended the danger and the difficulty of his anointing, and made a covenant of friendship with him. Jonathan's friendship entered David's soul in a way that Saul's hatred never did. Friendship is an underestimated aspect of spirituality. Two weeks ago, I stood here and declared that I was a sexual being. And we talked about that 
because sexuality has everything to, to do with who we are as spiritual beings, right? Because we're whole beings. God has created us as whole people. Friendship has to do with our spiritual beings, with us being spiritual beings. We are not on our own. We were never, ever meant to do this life alone. We are to walk in step with the Spirit, and we are to walk in step with each other. It is a very, very holy moment when we can be vulnerable with a friend, right? It's a really holy moment. And it's a very, very holy moment when we are faithful to our promises to our friends. Eugene Peterson talks about um, that it was risky, that Jonathan took a risk. The Christian life is probably the riskiest business we could ever get into. Friendship is risky. It's risky. We're probably going to get hurt if we're vulnerable with somebody. The likelihood of us getting hurt at some point, pretty high. You've probably been hurt already. But true friendship sees beyond it. Like Jonathan, who saw what God was doing in David, and he decided to risk it anyways. He gave up his right for what was right. It is risky to be a friend. It's risky. And it's risky to do it well. We can do friendship not so well. And and what we do and usually when we do friendship not so well is we just try to protect ourselves. Right? Where then it becomes me about me and about you being a good friend to me. How can you be a good friend to me? Well, my love language is this, so you can love me like this. I hate that. Can I just be straight up with you for a second? This whole love language, I know it's a good thing, but we use it. We use it to, like, make our friends feel bad for trying to love us, and they didn't do it in the right way. How about you just say thank you for loving me? Okay? So, but, like, Being a true friend is saying, I'm going to put myself out there first. I'm going to be vulnerable. And when we try to be a good friend first, it stirs on vulnerability. People meet our vulnerability. And then it comes into this cycle where vulnerability brings in faithfulness. And faithfulness brings vulnerability. And it's this cycle. To do friendship well is risky. You know that phrase, get off your biscuit and risk it? (laughs) Do you not know that phrase? Is that, no? So this is my, my, this is my thought to you. Get off your biscuit and risk it. But for real, be a good friend. I lost you. Be a good friend. 
it's time for us to stop having these great expectations of our friends as if they were a my, my kid's sister doll. That it's going to be perfect and plastic and I can take them everywhere I want to go and they will do everything that I want them to do and they just follow me around. That is not friendship. That's a toy. Okay? So let's treat our friends like friends, not toys. But it requires of us to be vulnerable. It requires of us to be vulnerable. And it requires of us to be faithful and actually do what we say we're going to do. And so this is, that's part of the fruit of the spirit. Being faithful to loving our friends. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. To ask, to, to love our friends. See, we could be, we could love our, like be about our rights and our rights could get in the way of the fruit of the spirit. My heart for you and for me, for all of us together is that we would be walking together, pacing together in the spirit. Like, just, you know, like, I don't know. You know those, like, races that are more like a walk? Like, you know what I mean? Like a five, 5K walk, right? That we would be doing a 5K walk together, pacing together. Because, as we mentioned before, walking in step with the Spirit happens in relationship and in community. It really doesn't happen here. If we sort of go along with this metaphor of a race, perhaps this might be a pit stop. Perhaps chapel and church might be a pit stop. It's the place where you, like, come in, grab a drink, get going, and then you can keep going in the race. This isn't really the place where we are in step with the Spirit. Where we are in step with the Spirit is when we are with our best friends, chatting in our rooms at night or with our roommates. When we are in step with the Spirit, it's when we're at church with the person that we don't know, but they're sitting next to us. That's when we're in step with the Spirit. We're in step with the Spirit when we're talking with somebody at Walmart or somebody at, like, ICBC. Like, that's when we're, that's where our fruit is. And it's in those places, those are not like, they're not like super spiritual places. Those are probably the least spiritual places sometimes. Like ICBC. But that's where our fruit comes out. It's in our friendships. It's in our relationships. It's in when we're with our families. It's here. My prayer is that we are marked, like marked by, um, by vulnerability, marked by faithfulness, and that we are very, like bursting with fruit. Bursting. Like we are just, popping fruit off of us. That's my prayer. But all of that happens if we spend time with the Spirit, right? If we spend time with the Lord.
so I want us to just, again, this space is going to be open for us tonight. If you want to spend time just to be in God's presence, it is so wonderful just to spend time and wait with God, right? But I'm going to suggest that perhaps do it with a friend today. Perhaps pray with somebody. Come up here together. Pray together. Wait on the Lord together. I'd also like to say this. If if you're like, if you've been going through and mental Rolodexing your friendships tonight and you're starting to see where there might be some areas where vulnerability has not taken, has not been a mark of your friendship or faithfulness has not been a mark of your friendship or your rights has gone above what is right, perhaps this is a time to give that to the Lord. Perhaps this is a time for some conversation with friends. Maybe it's time for an apology. Maybe it's time for a, you're forgiven. But let's just take some time together as friends to wait on the Lord. The band is going to play a song and we're going to sing something. So if you want to stand and sing, I invite you to do that. I also invite you to be here, pray with a friend. Let's just take some time to be in God's presence. I lift my hands to heaven. 